So, hi, and welcome to this special episode of Net Support Radio. My name is Mark Anderson. I'm really, really pleased and excited to have the opportunity to have a conversation with Gabe Howard today. Gabe, how are you doing? I am well. How are you? I'm, I'm really, really well, thank you. Now, listen, you know, I've been doing some research into, into yourself and, and the things that you've been doing. And you did promise faithfully before we started recording that you wouldn't do what I'm about to ask you to do. But you've authored a number of books. <laughs> Uh, and uh, you, you've got a podcast. Can you, can you talk a bit about um, or the, the reason behind your book and 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 why you know you 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 write and share about these issues? Yeah. So I, I live with bipolar disorder. I, I it, it's it's somewhat sad to me that all stories of like great mental health activism and advocacy always start with I live with fill in the blank or I love somebody who lives with fill in the blank. I mean, we're we're gonna make great progress when somebody stands up and says, I'm a mental health activist or I'm a mental health advocate. Why? Because it's important. Oh, all right. Well, now we're getting somewhere, but we're, we're not quite there yet. So like so many other people, I, I thought that mental illness was something that happened to other people and other families. I, I want to be very, very clear. Like that was my logic back in mm. 2003, two days before I was committed to a psychiatric hospital. Then I was committed to a psychiatric hospital. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. A whole bunch of stuff happened. It took four years from the time I was diagnosed to the time I reached recovery. And it, it, it was a nightmare, Mark. It was an absolute nightmare. It, you know, getting care, figuring out medication, understanding, it, it, explaining to my friends and family the stigma and discrimination that I faced was horrific. And it, when I got well, I thought, man, I, I mean, literally, I was like, so somebody, somebody has to fix this. And I, I kind of looked around and there, there weren't many people trying to fix it. I, I was certainly not the first, not, not by, not by several decades, but it was such a small group. And, and even the nonprofits weren't very robust. They were there and there were national nonprofits, but they were in their infancy. They didn't have a lot of funding. So I, I just thought, well, I, I am at least one more person and that is how I became uh, an advocate. Somebody mistakenly gave me a microphone one day and, and it sort of all went downhill from there <laughs> or uphill, depending on how you look at it. I, I, I caught the bug, as a lot of people say. I, I very much enjoyed telling my story. I enjoyed seeing the progress that we made. And then all of that led into, of course, all of the other things, writing, podcasting. I mean, it's all it's all one big thing that's all grounded in this idea that if we talk about mental health and mental illness, we can move the needle. That's really interesting. Thank you. And, and um, this idea about you know, mental health being something you suffer from, you know, the best analogy I've kind of heard is where you sort of, you know, mental health is just like your physical health and just like you should go to the gym and work a carrot and keep yourself healthy. And I, I know I should do more, definitely do more of that myself. <laughs> Um, but equally, we should be mindful of the, of the things which can help us with our mental health as well. Have you got any sort of thoughts around all of that? So that's the one of the biggest issues that, that we're facing right now in, in advocacy. And, and believe me, there are huge issues. But one of the biggest issues that we have is that mental health and mental illness are used to mean the same thing. And they're, they're, they're you, mental health is used to mean something negative, which is the literal equivalent of saying that anytime you mention physical health, you're, you're talking about something negative. So imagine if you saw like an elite bodybuilder and you're like, he is in peak physical health. And everybody said, oh, well, that's a shame. He's, he's sick. No, it, physical health 
can mean anything. It, it, it can mean good. It can mean bad. It can mean in the middle. It can mean physical health is just a catch-all phrase for everything that happens to our body. Mental health is the exact same way. It's just a catch-all phrase for everything that happens mentally, which means you can have good mental health. You can have excellent mental health. You can be in peak mental health. You can be in poor mental health. You can be in whatever. Fill in any word you want and you can be there. But so many people, when you walk up, you're like, Mark, I want to talk about your mental health. I'm not crazy. So again, Mark, I didn't I didn't say that. I just noticed that you seem very stressed out or that you're you're snapping at your children or your friends all the time. Or, you know, maybe you've gone through grief because of the death of a loved one. Or maybe I wanted to ask how you're so optimistic in the face of so much adversity because that is just excellent mental health. But the minute people hear mental health, they immediately think negative. They immediately think crazy and they don't want to talk about it anymore. And that is so sad because... If we're not willing to talk about basic mental health and we think that basic mental health is negative, you can imagine where we are when we want to talk about psychosis, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, uh, you know, the things that lead to, to, to suicide, chronic homelessness, imprisonment. I mean, if we can't even talk about basic mental health, the conversation surrounding how psychosis leads to homelessness, leads to arrest, leads to imprisonment is it, just, it, it's not even on people's radar. So I, I to tie this all thing up in a nice bow, I, I wish that we could understand that mental health can, in fact, be excellent. It can be absolutely unequivocally excellent. And, and what a great laudable thing to sort of try and work towards as well, particularly given the issues that have, have impacted on so many people, but particularly uh, you know, over the last sort of 18, 24 months uh, around a pandemic, isolation, all, all these things. Uh, and like here in the UK, we've seen a lot of issues with young people and their mental health uh, being isolated from their friends and so forth and so on. Um, being US-based, uh, Gabe, uh, what sort of trends are you seeing in the country around mental health and, and uh, uh, mental illness? So the, the first thing that we have is it, there's a big difference between the UK and the US. And I, I want to be very, very clear. I am only an expert on the United States. So everything that I know about the UK is from talking to folks like you, Mark. So don't be afraid to jump in and be like, I don't know where you read that. That is, that is not true. I will not be offended one iota. But one of the big differences that we have in, in the US versus the UK is something called universal health care. We don't have it. Which yeah. means that we have we have like subcategories of people seeking help. So let let's go with the base mental health issue, right? Let let's say that that is that is present in three different people, right? Uh, in the U.S., uh, so we've got the person who has insurance. That person has excellent insurance, a great payer source, and they just start making appointments with therapists. They, they, they call their local doctor. They can get prescriptions. They've got all kinds of resources and all kinds of ways to get care. Uh, and then we've got the, the, the second group of people. The second group of people, they have insurance, but it's, it, it's not great. It, it, it's better than nothing. You know, maybe it's public insurance. Maybe it's on the welfare system. Maybe it's in, uh, you know, social security. Uh, maybe it's it, it, it's it's uh, you know just a, an employer that just offer offers like you know a five thousand dollar deductible. So you are insured, but of course you've got this massive deductible to meet. And you know maybe you're underemployed. You're making minimum wage. You know, so a thirty dollar copay is huge. That that's that that is a real barrier to care. Uh, and then finally, we've got the third group that have nothing no payer source whatsoever, meaning they, they literally just have zero insurance, zero, zero. They got 
big old goose egg. So as we've established, we got three people that all have the exact same problem, and we're going to get three very different outcomes, three phenomenally different outcomes. And I haven't even gotten into the difference between living in a rural area, which might only have one doctor or one psychiatrist uh, or one therapist who you went to school with and you don't want to see, or doesn't work on your specific issue, or a, a big city which has you know multiple doctors and, and the, the promise of anonymity because you live in front of, you know, one, two, three, four million people, right? I'm just talking about, you know, dollar, dollar bills, y'all. And it's, it's, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal to watch three people with the same issue, all trying the same amount of effort. You know, everybody wants to think, well, they're not trying. Nope. Exact same effort. It's just when Gabe Howard calls up and says, I want to see a doctor right now. It's a $30 copay. That's no problem. I'm going to see a doctor much quicker than the third person is like, look, I need a sliding scale doctor who's willing to see me for free. All right, well, we'll see you in 8, 12, 15 weeks. Well, what do you do if you need medical care right now and your appointment is 15 weeks away? And the answer is it, it, it compounds and it gets worse. So again, I don't know the intricacies of the UK, but what I do know is in the US, more people are showing up with mental health issues than ever before. Anxiety, stress, just... Just the, the complications of, of trauma. This is traumatic. People are dying. People are arguing on the highest levels all over the world about this thing that is scary. Like it's a global pandemic. It is terrifying. Misinformation is everywhere. Nobody knows what's going on. Conspiracy theories are at an all-time high surrounding all of this. And people are naturally just, I don't know what to do. And I want to seek help. Uh, again, I don't know what they do in the UK. I imagine it's an overburdened system right now because as you have more people going in, you have less resources available, and that is a challenge. In America, we have that problem, and we just have some people that just no matter what they do, they will not be able to access it because they do not have the money. So we have decided as a culture, as America, that we're willing to let those people go. And that's, that is that is frightening. Uh, that we have made this decision. And frankly, it's not good for anybody's mental health. Could you imagine living in a country where the top levels of your government have decided that a certain segment of the population is just, they're allowed to suffer because after all, they, they deserve it. I, I just, this is who's looking out for us. All of these things combined have just caused so many problems. And it, the majority of these problems, quite frankly, existed before the global pandemic. The global pandemic just took a, a boiling pot that was kind of, you know, spitting a little bit of foam everywhere. And you're like, oh, that's going to be difficult to clean up, but whatever, to just boiling over everywhere. Pasta's ruined. It's a mess. Nobody's eating dinner. And it, I, th there's no clear line of sight to a resolution at all. Mm -hmm. It's like that um, Chandler Bing quote from Friends, isn't it? You know, can open worms everywhere. Uh, you know, and how, how do you then, once, the, once something actually, you know, the worms are out, how do you even get them back in again? How do you move those things forwards? Because whilst I feel relatively lucky to be in a country where we do have the NHS and, and you can get access and you can get those things, like you, you alluded to there, it's massively overstretched. Um, uh, on, a, on a personal note, I was due some surgery uh, two years ago, um, but pandemic kicked in. I didn't have it until things eased off a bit earlier this year, and I had to wait all that time. And I imagine I can't imagine and being in America where if I didn't have the insurance, I didn't have the right setup, I would just be left to just not have it. It's yeah. just you know, 
it just seems crazy to me that in, in a society today where you know we 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 know what's right, why wouldn't you want to help people? And then, then you've got the Hippocratic Oath, you know, uh, do no ill, all this other thing. Well, why why would you want to work in that sort of way? How do you cope with that, Gabe? As an advocate, it, it's difficult to cope with it because it seems so obvious to me. It just it just seems so obvious to me. And and I, I don't want to you know get on a soapbox and pull in so many things, but in America, we have, you know, this strong religious underpinning where we're always talking about our, our deeply held religious beliefs and we have the right to free religion. And, and one of the major, major underpinnings of religion is to help the sick and the impoverished. And then when we talk about health care, the first thing we say is, well, the sick and impoverished deserved it. They should have got a job and got health insurance. Like th those two things, but hard for me. So in my mind, and I'm just speaking for Gabe Howard, it's just so obvious. You have people who are sick and suffering. We, we, we claim to be this religious, moral, and God we trust is on our freaking money, Mark. It's just everywhere. But then we just cavalierly at the highest levels of government, president, senate, congress, this isn't this isn't like some idiot on a street corner saying, well, I don't care about people. No, these are people running for office, holding office, debating how we do it. And time and time and time and time again, we as Americans make the decision that we are not going to care for the sick, that 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 medical access is not a right. It is not something that we should provide to the sick, to the impoverished, but it is something for the elite people who can afford it. We see healthcare and a luxury car as kind of the same thing. If you earn it, you can have it. The end. If you can't earn it, you don't deserve it. And we're 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 like we're like all cool with that. Like we're just walking around. And it's it's fascinating to me as a culture because the minute somebody gets sick, GoFundMe's, Kickstarters, donations are everywhere. Oh my God, we have to help my dad. We have to help my mom. We have to help my son. Please donate money. And I think to myself, you know, I saw your Facebook during the election when, when you said that you were anti-socialism and you said you would never vote for that person because universal health care is bullshit and, and on and on. And I'm like, you, you don't realize that the thing that you said was so awful is now the thing that you are trying to create on your own with your fundraiser. The government could have helped you with it. And yes, there's going to be problems. There's going to be issues. There's 400, what, 360 million people in America of all ages, races. The, the country is vast. I mean, rural area. Yes, there are going to be issues. And that's what everybody says. Well, it didn't work smoothly. Nothing works smoothly. Have you been to an opening of McDonald's? That is a mess. According to the logic of many people, because opening day at McDonald's was a mess, they should close down the McDonald's, shutter the whole thing, and McDonald's should go away. But luckily, McDonald's is smart. They, they, they have their problems, they isolate their problems, they fix their problems, and then they move forward. And eventually all the kinks work out until the McRib comes out and then it's all a mess again. And then they work it out and they move forward. And this is, this is just how the world was meant to be. So far in America, we don't see it that way. And that is incredibly, incredibly frustrating because if I did not have care, I wouldn't have made it. It, it, it I, it's not because I'm smarter. It's not because I work harder. It's not because I had a job. It's not because I tried. More. No, all of those things were relevant, but they were only relevant because I had access to care. 
I, I could work with a doctor. I could get prescription medications. I could learn coping skills with therapy. I could drive my car to a support group, right? I had stable housing. So I didn't have to worry about housing. I could just focus on bipolar disorder. All of these things are why I'm well. So I, I do love it when people are like, well, Gabe, you worked really hard and that's why you're doing well. Like, thank you. Come here. Give me a hug. I, I also had top-notch medical care and money. And, and if you took the top-notch medical care and money away, it, it would be a very different result. My goal as a mental health advocate is to make as many Gabes as humanly possible. I want my uh, result to become common. I, I want I want everybody who's mm -hmm. diagnosed with bipolar disorder to be like, yeah, I, I went to the doctor, I worked hard, and I got well. Like, it, I want it to be pink eye, right? Pink eye is an illness that leads to blindness. Did you know that? Like, I didn't even know that. If you get pink eye... Yeah. If you get pink eye and you do nothing, you will go blind. Like that's how serious pink eye is. But pink eye can be cured with like a $10 bottle of medicine. So when, when our kids get pink eye, when we get pink eye, we're just like, oh, I have an illness that could lead to blindness and I'm so annoyed. And we put the drops in our eyes and we move on with our lives. That's what I want to happen here. And so far, quite frankly, we're, we're not even trying. We're not even trying. We are so in the infancy of doing anything about mental health issues and getting people access to care uh, because we're really like in the toddler stages of getting people access to physical health care, like, you, you know, cancer or diabetes or a broken leg or a car accident. We're, we're, we're barely out of the gate caring for those people. So you, you can imagine what we're doing for people with mental health issues, and it's largely nothing. So you're saying it's at its infancy, though, Gabe. So things things must be happening somewhere. What what is actually happening on, on the sort of the ground floor? One of the things that's happening is the younger generation is going to save us all. I, I I know that people are constantly you know making fun of millennials and and and, and Gen Xers, and and I, and I just I am fascinated by the vilification of an entire group of people. I mean, just do, do people don't hear it? Well, millennials are lazy. So you have decided that an entire group of people have the same trait. All right, that's number one. And two, it's their fault. See, for me, if I find out that an entire group of people has the same trait, I think this is awesome. I am now aware of that trait. I will make systems that gear into that. You know, one of the things I hear, well, you know, all these millennials, they don't want to start work until 10. So let me get this straight. All you have to do in your business is change your workday from nine to five to 10 to six. And you have a, a, a dedicated pool of, of young workers that are ready to take that job. That, that That's it. That Wow. You're not as good of a business person as you thought, are you? I, I, I just, I just solved you. You're sitting around complaining and I just solved your problem by like, like, just, just, just that, that's all you got to do. Just move, move the start time. But no, they're hung up on why are they so lazy? They got to start work at 10. This is nonsense. This is just nonsense. But this entire group of people, I, I, I'm on social media. I, I do interviews like this. I talk to people all over the United States. And this group of people will walk up to their peers and say, I need a therapist. I need a doctor. Can you recommend, I need a mental health day. I, I, am, I am scared because I, I'm afraid that I have bipolar, psychosis, depression, anxiety, whatever it is. And they will talk to their peers. They have this open dialogue surrounding it. 
as a general cultural touch point for their generation. And they will they will check in at their psychiatrist's office on Facebook. I, I just I, when I started doing that, it was people were like, oh, I don't know if I do that, Gabe. I'm like, no, no, got to get in the med checkup. You know, people would send me DMs advising me maybe to like change my privacy settings. And now we have a whole generation of people that are largely just openly discussing this. That gives me great hope when I see the younger generation, 15, 20, 25, 30 year olds, just having this open conversation with their peers, because it means two things. One, it means that they're comfortable with mental health and mental illness. And two, it means that they're seeking support from their peers who are comfortable providing it in some fashion. Now, that said, that doesn't mean that, hey, the problem is solved. We just have to let all the people above them, all those other cultures die or all those other generations die out and will be solved. No, they, they have many, many problems. Many, many, many problems. They, 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 we need more research. We need more treatments. They, of course, have, you know, uh, inability to afford it just like the rest of us. But I am, I am. I am so encouraged when I hear a couple of 20-year-olds sitting around a coffee shop just discussing how they're scared that their anxiety is too much and they couldn't get out of bed yesterday. And their peer group is like, all right, let's brainstorm some ways to get around this. What can we do? Uh, the challenge, of course, is making sure that those brainstorms are productive. Uh, you know, sometimes mm. they're not productive. Oh, go to the gas station and buy that supplement. Okay, that that's probably not the best solution, but the base premise of their discussing it, that is amazing. I'm 45. That's something that doesn't really exist in my generation. And as we go up to my father's generation and my grandfather's generation, it really doesn't exist. So I, I see good things, but once again, it's going to take time. I see that. And I mean, it's, it's lovely to hear uh, from your perspective about how that sort of stigma, again, around mental health is starting to be eradicated and worked well. I remember back to my my uh, childhood, there was a, a hospital for supporting um, patients with various mental health uh, uh, disorders and, and uh, what have you. Um, but uh, as a child, it was like, you know, who's there? It's the, it's the boogeyman. It's all this sort of thing, you know, and, and that was the sort of the culture that was shared from my parents, grandparents and, and so forth and so on. But it sounds really encouraging that, that um, like I say, millennials and, and young people are really able to be open and having that sort of conversation. Have, have, you, have you got any uh, um, strategies yourself or things that you're seeing about maybe advocacy groups are working with older people to try and shift that conversation away from it being a sort of stigmatized thing to something where you can actually have those frank and open conversations? One of the things that's really a, a good strategy is is showing people that recovery is possible and that people live well with mental illness. Let, let, let's be nice to my generation and, and my father's generation and my grandfather's generation, right? On one hand, we want to be like, how could you let this happen? Why is this happening? You you screwed the pooch on this one, mom and dad. That That is fair. And I, I mean, they, 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 they kind of did. I mean, it, it's... I, mental illness has been around for since the beginning of America and we're just now starting to have any sort of fruitful conversations. What were the other generations thinking? But let's be fair to them. Crisis is so public. It is so public. It is, it is, it is, it, 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 it makes the news. It makes the gossip columns. It, it's the kind of thing that you talk about around the water cooler. And I mm -hmm. use this as an example every time. If I go to a convenience store and I buy a, a soda and a bag of chips, right, 
and I walk out of the convenience store and I get in my car, my, my nice brand new car, and I drive to my, my house with my wife and I, I, I eat the bag of chips and I drink the soda. Everybody says, there's a white guy who bought a soda and a bag of chips, drove his car back to suburbia, went to his house, kissed his wife hello and ate his soda and chips. There, there's, there's nothing there. That, that has any indicator of anything other than I'm just some boring guy that likes soda and chips. I, that's it, right? Well, let's take that exact same scenario and pretend that I have like a, a severe anxiety attack or panic attack, or I, I, I'm at the, uh, while I'm at the convenience store, or I think that the soda machine is a dragon. And in order to protect everybody else, I, I start throwing cans at the, at the dragon. See, it scared me. It's, it's red, it's glowing, it was flickering and, and a, a hallucination came in. And I just, that's a dragon, that's a, get the kids out, get the kids out, right? And I barricade the doors to protect everybody. All anybody is going to hear the next day is there was this crazy guy at the local convenience store who thought there was a dragon or man with bipolar destroys convenience store, does half a million dollars in damage, frightens children. Man with bipolar, man with bipolar, man with bipolar, man with bipolar. It's everywhere, right? Like, I want to tell this story. Like, really? He thought, he, come here, come here. He thought, he thought the soda machine was a dragon. I can feel myself. You know, I'm a human too. I make mistakes, right? I can see myself spreading this gossip already. And I know better. And then when I walk in or the next person walks in who has my exact same illness, buys their chip. So man with bipolar destroys convenience store. Boring guy buys chips. We need to create a system where it's man with bipolar disorder destroys convenience store. Thousands of men and women go to convenience store and buy chips and soda. So when people start to look at it like, wait a minute, wow, you're, you're right. Thousands of people are utilizing this, this convenience store every day. Some of them have mental illness and they're just boring people. They're just boring people who we're never going to spread gossip about, but they are living with major depression, schizophrenia, psychosis, whatever. Uh, we mm. only hear about the one who has the crisis. So I can see in their defense why they believe that any mental health diagnosis, any mental illness diagnosis is only negative and only leads to bad things because crisis is public and success is very hidden. So one of the things that I think is happening is that more and more people are are discussing it. People like me, people like Natasha Tracy, people like Andy Berman, people like you, Mark, we're having these discussions surrounding it. And hopefully they're like, oh, hey, you're right. People who are living well with an illness aren't just running around broadcasting it. I mean, what would I even do? Hi, my name is Gabe. I live with bipolar. I'm here for a bag of chips and a soda. I, I mean, that. come on. I, I, that's, that's not advocacy. That's just annoying. But I, I would like as many people to know that, yeah, I'm just a boring white guy from suburbia uh, who's buying a soda. And that is so wonderful because when I was sick, I, I didn't know that I could be a boring anything. I, I thought I, I thought I was just going to be the guy with bipolar, not mm -hmm. the boring married guy from the suburbs. And we need we need we need more of that. And shows like yours are doing that. The, the, the aforementioned uh, millennials and Gen Xers and or sorry, Gen Z's uh, all discussing it are just showing that, yeah, we're managing lives with a mental health issue and we're working a job, buying houses, having children, whatever. And all of that will help shift what the older generation thinks. And I see it slowly working. Unfortunately, Mark, it, oftentimes they need an impetus. 
They need it to happen to them. They need it to happen to a family member. They need it to happen to a friend's family member, their children, mm -hmm. et cetera. And so we're, we're not quite there where the person who has no stake in the game is like, you know, I should pay more attention to this. Does it affect you? No, not at all. Uh, but I think it's important. We're starting to get there, but it's slow. Thanks, Gabe. I mean, it's really, it's really interesting here that, that analogy you gave there, because in, in in the sort of the response, I mean, as humans, we love stories, and so uh, I'm going to lead into a question asking about the media and their role in actually, um, you know, providing us some real insights into changing the conversation around conversations around mental health and mental illness. Because you know, if if it, if it wasn't for our love of stories, and the stories have to be that the wow, gee, the, the really exciting, yeah, the the, out of the ordinary stuff. The word crazy, crazy, like, like you say. So, um, what are you seeing in in the US uh, in a positive way? That that, that I mean, because like you say, your millennials, your Gen Zs, what have you, using social media, going to Facebook, signing in, doing all these things. It's great to see all this sort of stuff happening. But on on your big network like Fox and so forth and so on, you know, how how is it being perceived in in those sorts of avenues? And and, and are there any sort of positive signs of anything happening? You know, in a positive way around all of that. There, there are many positive things. I, I, I don't want to, I want to be very clear that, that positive is happening. Uh, but I also want to be clear that if, if you need $10,000 and you raise $2,500, that is a very positive thing. Nobody would deny that, that going from zero to 2,500 is a great thing. But if your goal is $10,000, yeah, you've got a long way to go. Things are happening. It is positive. But let's be clear, until you get the $10,000, whatever you need that $10,000 for is in jeopardy, whether it's a surgery, whether it's uh, your mortgage, your house, your rent, whatever. You either get the $10,000 and everything is fine or you don't. So getting $9,500, wow, you made a great run. We almost thought you were going to make it. Yeah, but you didn't. You didn't. The last person cut on game day made it the farthest but still didn't make the team and we, we we have to understand that that said i want to acknowledge that being the last person cut that 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 is still a real honor you you should you should give yourself credit you almost made it right so you should come back next year and try again maybe you should be a coach maybe you should go to the amateur leagues or or whatever like like wow you are you you were so the last person cut absolutely has a career somewhere around their sport, just not on the team uh, in, in the major leagues. Uh, very American reference, I think, but but I it's it, it's it's probably universal. Uh, so we are seeing great great things. Uh, we're we're seeing stories about people like me. You know, they, they did they, the media has done stories on my life. They're like, look, he, he was committed to a psychiatric hospital. He was suicidal. His parents thought he was an asshole. Uh, he had all of these problems, and now he's a a boring guy from the suburbs. That that's you know, there's a there's a whole video montage of me like throwing a stick with my dog. There's uh, I, I one of my favorite ones is we. Uh, uh, man with bipolar uses humor to break down barriers. And I thought, oh, well, that, that's an, I, I, I guess I do. I never really thought of positioning it that way. This is just kind of my personality, right? And it was this mm -hmm. nice little segment about me answering questions and making people laugh and, and talking about the very serious subject of mental illness, bipolar disorder, and suicidality. And I thought that's, that is, that is excellent framing. Uh, the, the problem is, is like you said, Mark, People like oomph in their stories. So what's more exciting, 
you know, man with bipolar gets in standoff with police, two dead, three injured, or man with bipolar uses humor to teach people about mental health issues. Uh, I, they're, they're both stories. And, you know, this one is framed that the man with bipolar uses humor. It's, oh, that's a sweet story. I like it. But in the media in America, we have a phrase, if it bleeds, it leads. That's always going to get the most oomph. That's always going to get the most time. And it's always going to be a slow news day that my story comes on. And it, it's not going to get as many views. I mean, you, you can see it on social media. You know, my, my story got shared 300 times and had 10,000 eyes. That's really great, right? The, uh, the, 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 the man with severe and persistent mental illness who was taken down by police and there was, you know, carnage, death, what was, whatever, uh, you, you know, 10,000 shares, a million views. So it's it's problematic. That said, 25 years ago, there was zero. There was there was zero Gabe stories uh, and only uh, carnage. We are getting better too with the media. Not all the channels, you know, you know, every channel is different. You know, you know, some some news channels in America are more sensationalized than others. We are getting better with some of the more mainstream news channels not doing the thing where they say may have had a mental illness until they have a confirmation. Uh, 20 years ago, it was man who probably has mental illness shot up school. And now it's, you, you, you know, we've had a shooting at a school. We're waiting for more information. And that's mm -hmm. been helpful as well, because before it was just assumed that mental illness was involved. Uh, th there is probably more hinting or subtext than I like, but it's better than the mainstream media's newscaster saying, man with bipolar disorder, or, or, uh, uh, you, you know, there was a shooting at a local school. Mental illness is probably involved, but we're waiting on confirmation. Like that's how they used to say it. Probably has mental mm -hmm. illness. We're waiting to talk to the parents. And now it's, they make no mention of it until they actually get a confirmation. Uh, but again, depending on what news source you watch, there's plenty of news sources that go right into the sensationalism. Well, you, you know, and, and Many people watch news sources exclusively. So depending on the one that you read, watch, or are involved with, you might still be getting the very antiquated news. We have a huge problem with that in, in America. People just seeking out a news source that confirms their already held bias and, and what their predisposition to believe. So they're answer shopping, not news watching. But that's another yeah. problem. <laughs> <laughs> isn't it just but it's lovely to hear that you feel uh from your perspective that actually there's some inroads being made along that journey because it is a journey isn't it you know getting through to that point where uh things are as you would you would like them to be i want to jump into the thing you were sharing before about yourself gabe you know um uh you, you, even on your own website it says that you you, you work hard to try and make, make mental illness less scary and more understandable uh, i wanted to sort of jump into thinking a little bit and, it, and maybe we could reverse with some sort of, sort of stories and essays inside your book uh, i know you're, not, you're very keen that you don't want to hold it up and all those sort of things but um what's what sort of myths do you do you have you experienced around mental uh health issues and, and illness uh that, that you could perhaps debunk for us a little bit uh, in this conversation 
So the, the, the first one is this idea that mental illness is this super scary thing. So first, I want everybody to hear, I'm not saying don't be scared of it. You should absolutely be scared of any illness. You should be scared of diabetes. You should be scared of cancer. You should be scared of mononucleosis, right? I mean, health issues are something that you should be fearful about, right? That we, we have, we have, we get nervous about things as a protective factor. So it, it's not inherently wrong to be fearful of mental health issues and mental illness, right? That's, that, that's, that's just our human nature. I, I, I don't want anybody to be like, hey, you, you know, my, my loved one was diagnosed with schizophrenia and we're cool with it. I, 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 I we, now, now we, by cool with it, you mean like you're going to support and help? No, no, we, we just threw a party. We're not going to doctors or anything. It's fun. No, 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 no. This is a serious illness that needs medical intervention. No, we're embracing it as a celebration. Like, it's like, oh, okay, you, you've gone too far the other way, right? I want you to be cool with schizophrenia. But I also want you to see a doctor. I want you to still love your wife if she gets breast cancer, but I still want you to see a doctor. I, I, I still want you to love your husband if he gets testicular cancer, but I still want you to see a doctor, right? Like, like, and, and when you hear it, you're like, well, well, yeah, when you're supporting your loved one with an illness, that doesn't mean that you don't get care, right? There, there sometimes is a slingshot effect that we're so accepting that we forget that we do need to have some fear. There, there is a reasonable reason to be afraid of illness, Right. Forget not mental illness, not mental health issues. Illness is like, don't don't let it go too far or it gets worse. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we we've all heard the stories of the person who started with a cold. It turned into flu. The flu turned into serious flu that turned into pneumonia. And then they went to the doctor. Well, but by then it was too late. It was in their lungs. There was yeah, if they would have treated the flu way down here. So I, I just I want to make that crystal clear acceptance is wonderful. Loving people with mental illness is wonderful, but we still need to take the proactive steps to help ourselves and our loved ones be well. To the point of your question, uh, one of the things that I would like to see, of course, is more people understanding mental health issues and mental illness when it doesn't matter. Like, for so, so th this is the story that I love. You know, I've never broken a bone. Never. No bone in my body has ever been broken. I'm a very lazy person. I don't like to go outside. You broken a bone? No, Phil, I, I count myself very lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have never broken a bone. Now, let me ask you this, Mark. If you broke your leg right now, what's the treatment for that? Um, well, first of all, I'll, I'll probably call an ambulance, go to the hospital, get it reset, cast, and then lay it up for six weeks, have a long three months, it takes to get it to heal and recover. Yeah, get listen to you. At the end, that sort of thing. Right. You, 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 you just admitted that you've never broken a bone and yet you have just basically described the standard treatment for a broken leg, right? Or a, a broken bone. You even had like a, 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 you know, many people say, well, I get a cast and it would take like six weeks. You even knew that the bone had to be reset. That's an x-ray move, right? Boop. Yeah, like, like, look at that. That is, that is, that is vast knowledge. Now I'm assuming Mark, you're not a doctor. I'm not, but I do feel very proud right now, actually, Gabe. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we need to get mental illness and mental health to be on that level, where where, where people are there and they're like that. And I, I, I do think that's where we're going. Now, I, I feel that there was a second part to that question. And I uh, can you remind me of it to make sure that I answer it? Or, or did I get it? Well, it's, it's about the myths, really. You know, what, what myths oh, yeah. persist and exist? And how can we go about debunking those? 
Yeah. So, so that is the, 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 the myth and the, thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. I, I completely That's forgot. About that. The, uh, so that is the, so for example, imagine if one of the myths of a broken bone is that if you broke a bone, you could never walk again, or I'm sorry, if you broke your leg, you could never walk again. And this was a persistent myth. If you broke that bone, you, you might be likely to try to walk it off, to not want to tell anybody to not, or imagine this, imagine if you broke your bone, you got fired or you broke your leg, you got fired from your job. You, you probably wouldn't want to tell anybody. You, you, you no, 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 no. I'm going to deal with this on my own because if I tell anybody, they're going to fire me. And in America, that means you lose your health insurance. <laughs> so, and you've got a broken bone. So, so one of the many, many myths is that people with mental illness do not recover or cannot recover. And that, that speaks to the person who is diagnosed, right? Because they're going to reject this. If you honestly believe that that diagnosis means that you're going to lose your job, that you're going to lose your friends, that you're going to lose your family, that you're going to lose everything that you've spent your life building and working toward. If this gets out, you're never going to tell anybody or you're going to say to yourself, no, I don't have it. I can clearly work. I clearly love my mom and dad. I, I clearly don't have mental illness because I can work. You just told me that anybody with mental illness can't work and I can work. So therefore I don't have it. These are very reasonable things to think, right? The, mm. the next one is violence. People believe that all of the violence in the world is caused by mental illness. Look, I, I, I believe in real talk, Mark, some violence is. I, I, absolutely. There is a, a psychosis is scary. Delusions are scary. People believing that the, the Coke machine uh, or the soda machine is, is a dragon can lead to accidents. I, I mean, in America, we have guns everywhere. So imagine if the person with psychosis thinks that the soda machine is a dragon and pulls out their gun and start firing at it. You can see how somebody could get hurt. You can see how somebody could get hurt very, very quickly. Uh, and of course, with psychosis, anything is live. You know, Mark, when I had psychosis, uh, I believed that demons were coming to get me. Now, I, I couldn't see the demons and, and, and I was always worried about the demons, but it, it's not it's not a difficult leap for me to have been somewhere and thought, well, what if I thought Mark was a demon? Well, now what do I do? Do I attack mm -hmm. Mark? Do I, what could happen? Now, none of that happened for me. That's just luck. That's not, I didn't work extra hard for it. I just, the, the demons were always like following me, hiding under the bed, attacking family members. I never saw one. Uh, that was very helpful. But man, I, I do often wonder if I wouldn't have gotten treatment and it would have just, you know, gotten worse and worse and worse. Could I have thought, hey, that guy sitting over there drinking a latte is a demon and then just jumped on him. To, to, to get the demon before the demon got me. So mm. I, I don't want anybody to hear that mental illness can't lead to violence because it can. But listen to me. Statistically, so small. It is so small. The vast majority of violence is caused by regular people. It, it, it's sad, but it's true. In America, we have all these true crime shows, you know, snapped forensic files where people are just murdering their spouses left and right. None of those people have mental illness. They have greed. They're, they're fed up. They're evil. They're, they clearly don't value the sanctity of life or the, 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 the spouse or the, the, the mother or father of their children. But yeah, they don't have diagnosable mental illness. They, they just, they wanted the life insurance money or they got in a fight or they grew to hate the person or the relationship became toxic. There's, there's so many factors that lead to violence that have nothing to do with mental illness. And we're not talking about it. We, we don't want to talk about it enough. Mm. Uh, and uh, 
but people believe that this persists. And it really, really needs to stop because once again, if I believe that violence is inherently linked to mental illness and somebody tells me that I might have mental illness and I think, well, I'm not violent, I'm never going to seek help. Or if somebody tells me that I have mental illness and I go and get help and then everybody around me thinks that I'm violent, so they fire from my job, don't let me around my support system, keep kids away from me, et cetera. Well, that's really, really bad. But finally, listen, people with mental illness, we're often the victims of crime because we're super easy to take advantage of. We're mm. literally not in our right mind, Mark. Literally not in our right mind. We're, 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 I, this is not a popular word, but we're literally crazy. We're lit. You know how easy it is to take, to take advantage of somebody who can't get out of bed, who can't work, who can't think straight, who thinks that there's demons under the bed. If somebody would have walked up to me and said, Gabe, come here. If you give me $10,000, I will kill all the demons and get them away from you. And they're attacking your mother. I'd have handed it to them. Why wouldn't I? I, I you just told me that for $10,000, I could get rid of all of the demons that are attacking my mom. That's like a really good purchase. Luckily, I was never taken advantage of, but it would have been super easy to do so. And I haven't even gotten into you know, a, a, a assault and sexual assaults of... of, of of people who are incarcerated that, frankly, we just don't make good witnesses. Uh, imagine if you're in an institution that, that that's overrun and you have one bad actor. I want to be very, very clear. Many, many institutions taking care of people with severe and persistent mental illness, they're, they're, they're filled with good people doing the absolute best they can. But if you have a staff of 100 and you have one person who attacks a uh, 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 a vulnerable patient. And then that patient comes forward and says, Hey, Bob attacked me. Bob is immediately going to say, look, she has severe schizophrenia and psychosis. I never attacked her. That didn't happen. Who are you going to believe Mark? I mean, sincerely, you, you've got your employee who you hired past a background check and has done good work and you've seen do good work. And you have a, a schizophrenic with a history of psychosis and lying and everything else claiming that something bad happened. And you're thinking to yourself, well, wow, I, why did they attack her? Yeah, because Bob knows that she has a history of psychosis and lying. and it, She wasn't randomly selected or he wasn't randomly selected. And that mm. makes us very easy victims. All of that stuff needs to go away uh, because uh, if it doesn't, people aren't going to get help. And the people who are getting help aren't going to get the best help that they need. Because tying all that back to if you believe that I'm violent, it is smart to stay away from me. And if you stay away from me and you were my support system, I now have no support system. So I went from a sick guy with no care to a sick guy with care, but no support system. And a support system is very, very vital. And, you know, look, I, we, we could talk for an hour on the myths. People with bipolar disorder are not more creative. We're not geniuses. We're, we're not extra special. We can't solve crimes. I, I don't know when we all became detectives and police officers. To, 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 no, no, we're just normal people battling an illness. Now, some of us are geniuses, some of us are creative, some of us are good detectives, but we're all of those things because we overcame bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder is not giving us some super, mental illness is not giving us like some positive on the back end. No, no. All the positivity is us. All the negativity, negativity is the illness. Hard stop. Could you imagine if somebody was a great singer and they said, oh, she is a beautiful singer. You know, the cancer did that. What are you? The cancer didn't do that. The cancer tried to kill her. But people say that constantly about mental illness. Oh, 
He is so funny. You know, it's the depression. Come on. Just stop. No, no. I overcame the depression to be funny. Funny is my natural talent that I honed on my own. That is the, mm -hmm. that is, that is my pet peeve. I, I hate it when people tell me that the reason that I am successful is because the illness that has a 15% death rate decided to like backdoor bribe me. What nonsense is that? These are brilliant insights, Gabe. Thank you so much for your conversation. And like you say, we could talk for much, 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 much longer. Uh, and I'll start to wrap thing, the conversation up a little bit now, if that's okay with you. But um, here at NetSupport, um, we, we do a lot of work with schools and uh, our, our software is in schools and, and they're using schools all over the world. Um, my final question for you uh, in our conversation is, is uh, if uh, it's doubtful young people will be listening in and tuning into this because we're just, we're just not cool enough for them. But uh, if I was an educator in a school, um, if I was a teacher uh, and uh, you know, I'm concerned about uh, Gabe, he, you know, he's a bit withdrawn or uh, he, he, he's not seeing himself or uh, have you got any advice for an educator about how to um, sort of work with support uh, and, uh, and sort of things to look out for really with children who might be displaying some, some issues or, or, or uh, some signs of, of, of sort of suffering from some, uh, some mental health issues? Yeah. So first and foremost, there, there's always this fear of saying the wrong thing. And this is the literal equivalent of letting perfection get in the way of progress. There are, quote unquote, right things to say in that, you know, statistically, those things will work more often than they won't. But the, the, the right thing is different for everybody. You know, look at gallows humor. Uh, I love gallows humor. My family loves gallows humor. That's just how we are wired. I, I once told the story of my father who got in a really bad accident and like he was all messed up, his, his face, I mean, just, it was a, it was a very, very serious accident. It was so serious that when I got the call that he was being lifelighted because he might have a brain bleed. So I want to be very clear, super serious. I immediately, I, I lived uh, uh, 10 hours away from my father. I immediately within a half an hour was packed and on the road and barreling toward the hospital where my dad was. So I, 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 I can't downplay or I can't just like, very, very serious. So I get there. My dad is a mess. I mean, the accident was very, very severe. And, you know, I'm talking to my dad. I'm like, how are you? How are you doing? And, and, and he's like, you know, I'm having trouble talking. But like, you know, they did the CT scan. We're waiting on the doctor to come in. So we don't know what's going on at this point. But I'm having a conversation with my dad. My dad. A doctor or a, a nurse walks in with the, with the shot. My dad is a horrible patient. A, a nurse walks in with the shot and says, you know, Mr. Howard, I, I've got to give you the shot in the RV. My dad said, what is it? And she tries to explain it. My dad can't understand it. You, you know, a, a little bit of a, a, a skirmish. We'll just go with a skirmish. And I said, dad, take the shot or I'm going to beat you up. And my dad and the nurse just looked horrified because, you know, picture, you know, bruises everywhere. And my my father just starts laughing. And, and while he's like holding, he's like, don't make me laugh. Don't make me laugh. And then he looks at the nurse and says, give me the shot. I understand. And, and she gives him the shot. Could People hear the story and they're like, you, you, you didn't even know if your dad was going to be okay. And you're making jokes about punching a 70 year old man, beating him up in a hospital bed. Yes, I am. Because my dad and I have that, that, that relationship. So I want to be clear that, that saying something and designing it toward students is very, very helpful. Now you might not know the student well, but the worst thing that you can do is say nothing. 
Because imagine if in that scenario, my, my father clearly didn't understand what was going on. Now I have the relationship of father and son, so I knew exactly what to say. But imagine if I didn't know what to say. Imagine if I was just my dad's support system. I knew that my dad was struggling with this because he was scared of the shot. He didn't know what it was. He didn't know what was going on. He was disoriented. So that, that's the part that I focused in on. I knew something was wrong with that shot. So even if I would have said, hey, what are you worried about? You know, it's going to be okay. You want me to talk to her? You know, held his hand, whatever. You, you may say, well, Gabe, you know, making that gallows humor joke would have gone way faster and been way better. Yeah, that's hindsight. That's Monday morning quarterbacking. But just sitting there doing nothing and letting my my father, who had just been in an accident, try to defend for himself would have been worse. And that's the point of that story, right? But here's the some of the best things that you can say, of course. And, and so I do want to give the, you know, the, the tried and true. One, don't be afraid of the words. Say whatever you suspect. Uh, Mark, are you suicidal? Mark, are you thinking about killing yourself? Mark, is something wrong at home? Mark, what do you need help with? Just uh, many, many educators are like, well, I, I, I'm afraid they're going to hurt themselves. Okay, are you afraid they're going to hurt themselves or are you afraid they're going to kill themselves? Because those are vastly different things. Those are two very different things. If you are afraid that they're going to hurt themselves, Tell them how, you know, uh, Mark, I'm afraid that you're going to cut yourself. Mark, I'm afraid you're taking unnecessary risks. Mark, I'm afraid you're burning yourself a cigarette. You, you got to own it. You got to say it because you're, you're making it okay to discuss it, it, it. Hinting, hoping that they get the idea that you're trying to be helpful. That's, that's a very, very big risk. One of the big myths that you were talking about myths. One of the big myths is if you talk to a, a, a student, a child, a teenager about suicide, you will give them the idea. Literal nonsense. Could you imagine if somebody said, hey, 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 don't talk to your children about drive, about safe driving. If you talk to them about a car crash, you'll give them the idea to crash their car. Or how about this? No, no, no. Don't, don't, don't talk to your family about getting smoke detectors and fire extinguishers. You'll give them the idea to burn down their house. Like that's just, that's literal nonsense. But talking and, and giving young people information about suicidality, mental illness, mental health, you think that's going to give them the idea? Look, I'm on social media. They already know. And they often know incorrectly. Uh, I, I've been all over TikTok, the, the, uh, you know, TikTok, Facebook, uh, you know, just, just everywhere, Twitter, Instagram. Many, many, many students have it right. Like, like, God bless them. They have it. They have it so right. But there is also just a ton of misinformation. You know, oh, mm -hmm. if you're feeling, do you have psychosis? Oh, use, uh, use CBD oil. Oh, do you have psychosis? You know, burning candles will help. Look, I, I suppose on some level, you know, it might make you feel better, but if you really have psychosis, no amount of gas station products or over-the-counter Amazon purchases are going to work. It's the literal equivalent. Oh, you have a broken leg? Rub essential oil on it. Yeah, it won't do anything. It might smell better in the moment, uh, mm. but yeah, you're still going to have a broken leg. So listen, here's my advice for educators. Don't be afraid talk to them directly. If you're uncomfortable having the conversation, it probably means it's serious, but so that that's good, right? It's that indicator. But if you're uncomfortable doing it, find somebody, you know, Mark, if, if you think that, that I am suicidal and Mark's like, I just, I, I cannot do it. The best thing that you can do for me, Mark, is to find somebody who can just find another teacher. Find, just say, look, I, I, I can't look Gabe in the eyes and ask him he's going to kill himself. I just don't have it. That's okay. That is understandable. This is, this is really, really serious. But Mark, 
find Bob, find Jane, find the guidance counselor, find the principal, be an advocate for me and get them to walk in and say, hey, your teacher Mark is worried about you. He's afraid that you might want to kill yourself. Let's talk. Uh, finally, the last bit of information to all of this, which I, I feel that most educators know, this is a private conversation. You, you know, catch them alone somewhere. It, it, it the, the way that it works really, really well is if you can catch them alone somewhere, right? You can just walk. They're already alone standing somewhere and you just walk up and start talking to them, right? Because uh, obviously if you say, you know, hey, Bob, see me after class. Hey, Jane, see me after class. Ooh, what did, what did your teacher want? But it, in if you have to do it that way, you know, do it. Just say, hey, I'd like to see you after class and then have the conversation. Uh, and then be direct leave the door open, give them the resources that they need. Most schools have resources now. And then finally, last but certainly not least, especially when dealing with the under 18s crowd, call their parents. Call their parents and tell them that you were worried and what you talked about and what you did. And then finally, follow up. I would love to tell you that this is a single conversation. It's a number one thing. Well, I talked to him and nothing happened. Once? Like you... You, you thought you were going to solve a serious mental health crisis in one conversation? This is a Hallmark movie. What was mm. piano music playing in the background? What was like the thunderstorm and the sun like like fading and the sun coming? Come on, man. You're going to have to have multiple conversations. Leave that door open. Those are all the advice that I have. Uh, but don't be afraid to say the wrong thing. Because listen, let's say that you walk up to Bob and you say something and it pisses him off and it makes him mad and he runs away and he won't talk to you. Hey, that's fine. You put the idea in his head. Maybe he'll go to somebody else. You can tell your you, when you call the, the the child's parents or other friends. You, you know you you've ripped off the bandaid for the next person. Mm-hmm. So many people think that there is there's listen, especially with suicidality, death is permanent. Offense is not. You can always yeah. apologize for saying the wrong thing. You can't apologize for doing nothing and having the worst case scenario happen. Be bold. Be brave. Be direct. The longest answer ever, but it's really serious, right? I, I... Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks so much for the frank and honest and open conversation around it all as well. More of it, please, Gabe. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, have a conversation with me today on NetSupport Radio. Um, I, I know you don't want to hold your book up, but um, I, I really want you to, please. Uh, I'm sure you'll find lots and lots of salience uh, and frank speaking advice inside uh, what appears to be a book that's bigger than War and Peace. Uh, I'm joking. Oh, what are that? But, 380 uh, pages. Lots, lots of sage advice in there. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me for a conversation today, Gabe. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. And I hope you get the chance to do it again at some point in the future. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. If you want to find out more about you, where can they go to? Gabe, you've got gabehoward.com. And uh, is it similar for your socials? Yeah, Gabe Howard 29 is all of my socials. Of course, if you go to GabeHoward.com, all of the socials are on there for you to just click on and it'll take you right there. Also, when I uh, plug uh, the podcast, the great thing about the podcast, you can listen to it anywhere, whenever you're ready. It's absolutely free. Listen on your favorite podcast player or you can go on and you can see it there. PsychCentral.com slash show. Name of the podcast is Inside Mental Health. It's great. It covers, it's, it's, for real, like everything mental health is covered. I, I mean, just, just everything from anxiety to schizophrenia to psychosis to uh, conspiracy theories and everything in between. It's very cool. And uh, I, I don't know if uh, American celebrities have any cachet in the UK, but sometimes celebrities drop by and, uh, you know, talk about uh, what they're working on or their history with addiction. And, uh, you know, to a question that you asked earlier, you know, that's great as now. That, that That's great too. You know, uh, um, famous people are, are starting to admit that they have mental health issues and that, that does make it easier uh, for the rest of us uh, in, in some small way. Uh, so, 
So big shout out to them and uh, thank them for coming on my show. I have to do that. It's part of the rider. <laughs> Absolutely fine. Thank you so much again, Gabe. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to chat again in the future. Thank you so much. Cheers.